0: Hey everyone, this is Nate coming at you from Whitechapel in London on a short stint before making my way to Germany. London has been absolutely insane with all the people I've met, the Nottingham Festival, the food, the drinks, the sights, looking the wrong way on the street, and I was getting hit by a bus multiple times. But overall, it's been a pretty epic week. You can check out what I've been getting into and in the highlights from all of my travels on Instagram, my weapon of choice. You can find me at Nathan.Oyster, that's N-A-T-H-A-N, period, O-Y-S-T-E-R, for all of the travel updates. So check it out. You won't be sorry. And now sit back and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Oyster World.
0: Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. It's easy to get trapped in the day to day routines of our personal bubbles, but there are billions of ways to live the one life you got. And it's my job to find those ways and bring them to you. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and today I get to interview my crew. Crew Hope Vitale has had one hell of a life, full of ups and downs from hitting her first job like most of us do, competing on the U.S. National Muay Thai team, to finding her way through the big city of New York, recovering from a traumatic shoulder injury, and belting it out as a singer of a band. Some even call her the most interesting woman in the world, and they're probably right. True Hope was my teacher for Muay Thai in Columbus, Ohio, and this episode is special to me. Short North Muay Thai has taught me so much about the art as well as myself. There really is nothing quite as revealing as getting punched in the face, sometimes repeatedly, especially by the killers that go to that gym. I completely transformed there, getting pushed to my mental and physical limits day in and day out, giving me a centered confidence I've never known before. And I attribute that to her leadership and the leadership of the other great instructors at Short North Muay Thai. So in a way, this podcast is a tribute to the people and the way of life at Short North Muay Thai. And it's my gift to them for helping prepare me for anything and for the people that truly make that place great. So in other words, they're pretty good at what they do. So go check them out if you're in Columbus. You won't regret it. Okay on with the show
1: well thank you crew hope for coming on oyster world radio we're really sure. excited to have you I'm glad to be here. Uh, i know a lot of the listeners and members of the gym will be tuning in to listen to this uh this podcast hey, no
2: pressure.
1: <laughs> yeah no pressure at all um i probably will be on par with me coming into the gym for the first time being as incredibly uncoordinated as I was. I'm sure you can remember that. I, I really bit.
2: don't. I think that you were pretty coordinated. I mean, I really do. You don't have to be nice to me. I'm not. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> okay. Seen, you were pretty coordinated.
1: I'm lanky and coming off knee injuries, and there's no way I looked good.
2: I, I thought you looked great. <laughs> I was ready to put you in the ring right in, like in the second class. Oh, God.
1: Oh, God. Well, after the last sparring... Please don't. <laughs> I'm
2: like, are you serious? I thought you were doing so well.
1: You, you did?
2: Yeah, I, I cool. was so impressed on Monday. Well, thank you. Yeah. I
1: appreciate it. I felt Nate almost broke my nose on a couple of his jabs. That's totally normal. Okay, as long, to as, normal. <laughs> as long as that's normal. As long as that's normal. Oh man, I, yeah, I learned a lot about myself mm-hmm. doing those three rounds with Big Nate. <laughs> Show yeah. <me> what's up. <laughs> But I'm glad I got to go and I can't believe my time here is growing so short.
2: Oh, it's going to be sad to see you go. It's going to be, this is by far the saddest part of
1: going to Germany, is leaving this gym. And, um... That's also why I'm excited to do this episode, because I get to you know, give, you, give back a little bit of the gym and share your story to the world. Yeah, well, thank uh, you. And you have a very interesting one. Thanks. Um, <laughs> like, whatever, <laughs> it's no big deal. But um, there's a theme going on that I've noticed of um, people that grew up in small-town Ohio. And I had no idea about this idea, about you growing up. And the east side of Ohio, in a place oh, yeah. called Steubenville, mm-hmm. Ohio. That's right. Um, what, what what was that like? So, what was what was growing up like on, in Steubenville?
2: I mean, it's hard to to say. Yeah, I don't have anything to compare it to. It's just it was my it's what I know. But it was it was great.
1: Like, what was um, what did you and your friends do on a daily basis? when you're like 12 years old. So like 12 years old, Hope, and you're going out with your friends to go play somewhere. What were you doing?
2: Yeah, I don't think there was a lot of that. No, there <laughs> wasn't a lot? What were I think, you doing then, I mean, like 12 you know, years of your life? We, I, my parents were immigrants, so we were, there was a lot of Greeks in Steubenville, and we were involved in the church a lot, so there's always, um, a function going on, I think that we did on the weekends, or I mean, sometimes we, there's like a pizza shop we'd go down with my friends, or oh, we'd go to the mall. You go to the mall? Yes. Okay. You'd walk around the mall. That was a big deal. <laughs> Get to walk around Fort Steuben Mall, which I think might be going um, falling into the earth right now. Like, it could be falling <laughs> into the <laughs> earth. There's cracks in it that are literally. Like collapsing into yeah, but for Subin Mall was the jam.
1: <laughs> Wait, hold up. So uh, your, sit, your, your hometown is collapsing in on itself.
2: Uh, just the mall, uh, parts of the mall. Just parts of the mall.
1: <laughs> Hopefully, not your favorite store. Did you? I
2: mean, I don't. I love the arcade. I was, uh, you know, totally. Oh, happy. so you were a gamer. I, I mean, that's not what they called it then, but I love the arcade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what was? Uh, were you like a
0: Pac-Man player, Galaga?
2: Um, you know, funny enough it was Track and Field that was my favorite. Okay, that makes sense. You know, sense. that makes sense. Uh, I'm horrible at that game. You have to move your fingers so fast.
1: I know, I'm the worst. <laughs> so were you in, were you like the, the high scorer in Track and Field? No,
2: I mean, I was just like, I'd go with my brothers, they were older, and I was just like this young girl that was trying to play some arcade games, but usually the <laughs> high school boys were much better than I was.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so you were two older brothers mm-hmm. in the middle? Two older brothers?
2: Yeah, okay. and an older sister.
1: And an older sister. So you were the youngest of four.
2: Yes, the youngest of four. How was that? Um, it was great. I was a total accident, uh, you know. <laughs> they told my mom, actually, she couldn't have any more kids. She had um, a cyst on her ovaries, so they took out her ovaries, and, like, they left a sliver of one and told her, you know, there's you're good, you're not, there's no possibilities of you having children, and, and she got pregnant seven years later. And here you are. Yeah. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so they're a bit older? You said seven years? Seven years, yeah. Okay. And was it,
1: uh, did they pick on you? Seven years is a big enough gap, I think, where they might not have picked on you so much. I know my sister was relentless. Being only three years older, she, she would tear me apart. Were you kind of the... The, the scapegoat or the the one that they always picked on?
2: No, uh, they were completely loving to me. Took me places, uh, watched over me. Um, we were close growing up. Uh, you were so lucky. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Shout out to my sister. Uh huh. Um, I took her to cl- that class that one day. Oh, I don't know if you. Wait, I don't think I remember. I took her to a bring a friend's day class and we were doing leg kicks with the Shields, and I did not hold back. All 20 years of sibling angst went into that that's one awesome. hour. that's awesome. So, she grew up? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she won't, she tells every family member from now on, did you hear when Nate beat me up? I was like, well,
2: you, you had it coming. She, she, did. <laughs> she, she did, she should have known.
1: She should have known going in, that was the entire plan. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up, Going to an arcade in Steubensville Mm -hmm. and went on to get your degree at OSU in communications. Uh, What was that jump? You mentioned that I know a lot of people in kind of rural Ohio that I I talk to, it's it's hard to break out of that kind of close knit community. What do you think kind of made you or pushed you forward to go to OSU, big university, and keep going after that?
2: I, breaking out was the uh, it was my mission first of all. It, it was, was your mission. I, I, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to get out of Studentville, as as nice as my, you know, upbringing was. <clears throat> but uh, my brothers and sisters had already gone to OSU and kind of paved the way, and that's just where I was going. Gotcha. So they yeah. went to
1: OSU first, and
2: mm-hmm. of course you got to see them go to OSU and have a yeah. good time. So, so I just fall, fall in line, and I didn't. Um, I was. Big into music, I played music in, since fourth grade. So I thought I wanted to go into music, but communication was um, seemed like the only choice for me. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, do you think? Because you said your parents were immigrants as well from Greece, mm-hmm. and you went back there quite a bit to visit family. Do you think that was a major role in kind of broadening out? Your
2: horizons, or absolutely. I I got a cross cultural experience. My parents took me to Greece pretty often, um, and I got to be there and just unplug from everything. You know, we didn't have a phone. It was it was a fishing village. It's called Gomi Kalamuti, and an island called Chios, and um, so there was no way I could call my friends or. Um, there, we didn't have TV, nothing like that. So I think that's really how I started developing, um, you know, listening to my inner voice that gets lost so easily in the mix or in today's sure. world. I think that started the process for me.
1: Yeah, it seems like that would be a great place to center yourself, mm-hmm. cut out all the distractions every, every day. Especially nowadays, when you're so easily accessible all the time, I'm, I would love that so much. But
2: Well, um, you're about to get it, I oh, think. Oh, definitely. Yeah.
1: I know I'm going to try to go without cell service, so we'll see what that happens. That, I rely on that thing way wow. too much. Wow. Everybody does. It's so hard. So you got that at an early age, though. You kind of got the concept of centering, and how often did you go?
2: Uh, We went every three years for a while, and then every two years, and then I started going every year, and now I think we just go when we can every year or two years, Mm -hmm. try to go. You still have a lot of family over there? Yeah, cousins, a lot of cousins. Lots of cousins. Yeah. It sounds like a good family vacation. It is. Um, It's great. See the family and... Recharge. 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 Recenter. Get ready for another year. Get ready for another year. Yeah.
1: So you... You made it all through OSU, got your degree in communications, and like most people, went out and found a job. I think this might be a surprise to a lot of the students (laughs) here, but you did have a 9 to 5 at one point.
2: I did. It was my first job, and um, Miguel. Actually, was my boss. No kidding. Yes. He, he, <laughs> <is>. <laughs> I worked at a um, place called Desenzo Perez. And uh, I mean, I think it really was as good as a nine to five job could be. You know, they had a great atmosphere there. It was artistic and <clears throat> laid back, but it was still at a desk and um, it was still in a building and I think I just started to feel not comfortable. Not oh, I started to feel, um, I don't know what I started to feel. I just found myself starting to cry in the bathroom stall during lunch. And, and I, I'm like, something is wrong with me. And I didn't know what it was. And then, you know, a couple of days later, there I am again in the bathroom during lunch, like crying. And it took a while for me to realize, oh, I don't like being at a 9-to-5 desk job. Went home and talked to my mom and kind of told her what was going on, and, and I guess at that point I sort of understood that that world was not for me. Yeah, it sounds
1: like it. Yeah. Did it kind of just feel crushing almost? So it seems like maybe you just didn't know exactly what was going on, but you just, it felt out of place, out of sorts.
2: It just felt so wrong. It was just so wrong for my person. Like, my being did not want to be there. Gotcha. Um, It wasn't... I felt there was, like, so much inside of me, and that wasn't how it was coming out. You know, none of it was coming out, actually. So I think it was just coming out in tears.
1: Gotcha. And definitely, especially going to Greece and learning how to listen to your inner voice Mm -hmm. and being centered was... Was there anything? You, was it like your inner voice, kind of anxious, looking for something to do? Or I know I've kind of felt almost trapped. Like I can feel myself being trapped. Did you feel the same thing? Yeah. Or?
2: Um, yeah. I guess trapped is a, is a good word. Just like in a box, almost. hmm Yeah. Just didn't belong there. Not on. Not on the path. So, not on the right path. Gotcha. So then, so just then like
1: that, I you broke out. You broke out <laughs> I
2: moved to New York City. <laughs> and you moved to New York <laughs> That's City. That's right. And I pursued music. <laughs> you, you didn't
1: waste any time. I didn't. You were out like, okay, what's the biggest city, most fun city I can go to? That's right. And then you decided to pursue music. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, never knew how big of a musician you were yeah. until this conversation. Yeah. But you had shows all over the place. And how was that? like, And then also, this is about the same time, or right before you left, you started Muay Thai.
2: Yeah. Um, um, I was playing music, like I said, even in elementary school. And then I started playing guitar and writing songs in high school. And then in college, I was in a band, and I was writing a lot of songs and mm-hmm. playing guitar and singing. And when I graduated and I got the desk job, I was still playing. Um, and at the same time, I was also training Muay Thai. I'd met Master Lack um, so I started training a little bit here and there in college. Um, started in 1994. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so they kind of went hand in hand, really. I, I would play music, and then I would have my martial art to kind of center me, and they're both forms of expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then when I went to New York, it was still... I would already had a couple fights, and I was pursuing music, trying to get heard or seen by somebody so I could maybe make go of making a living hmm. at uh, music. And at the same time, I was on the New York City boxing team and fighting team. And
1: yeah, so it was uh, it was like both sides were building at the same both time. Both
2: were building always at the same always time. Always at the same always, time. Always, yes. How did you meet Master Lick? Um, he had a restaurant called Thai Village on okay. 315 and Goodale, which it's been completely bulldozed down to the ground now. But... It was a great Thai restaurant, and I used to go and eat there every day, hang out, study, and we just became friends. He always had a father figure persona to me and watched over me, asked how school was going. And I remember there was uh, a guy on campus that was stalking me a little bit, and I. I what? He, yeah. So I'd I'd asked Master Lech to, you know, I told him, and he's like, well, maybe you should think about learning a little Thai, Thai boxing, Muay Thai, and uh, I didn't even know what it was, and in the back of his restaurant, he had a big banquet room where he had weddings, he had a huge restaurant, I mean, it was giant. In the back, he had a big banquet hall, um, and he would do Cambodian weddings, and, and when there Weren't any weddings, he'd hang the heavy bag up, and you know, the restaurants are slow between two and four, mm-hmm. so he would go back and he would work out on the bag and have a workout between those times and maybe take a nap. And so he started teaching me, and I, I was into it a little bit. I didn't, it didn't grasp me, you know, right from the start mm-hmm. until I had my first sparring um, mm-hmm. encounter, okay, uh-huh. which was. Is- which was, I don't know, maybe five, six months into it. Was it
1: with Master Leck?
2: No, no. Master Luck has never sparred with me. A, a, a guy that was a um, waiter there um, would train, you know, in, the, in between hours. was such yeah. a random thing, right? Yeah. So we're just training in this restaurant, which is totally normal. Um, you know, it's just For on us, break we would yeah, have, man, like, you know, egg rolls, normal. spring rolls, and then go back and hit the bag. It's normal life. And... Um, so he had asked me to spar, um, and not in the restaurant, at the RPAC. Well, at the time it was Larkins Hall. Okay. So we go to uh, Larkins Hall. And he, he had done more training with Master Leck. He'd been there for a while. And I was just, I mean, Master Leck showed me some footwork and right roundhouse for the first year. I, I mean, I knew nothing, but I thought it was amazing, by mm. the way. I just thought I was like the best thing. When you get
1: that one thing down, you're like, heck
2: yeah. Like, no, I was good. completely ignorant, that's oh. all. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I did not have it down, and nor do I claim to ever have any of those things down uh, whatsoever. But, um, so I thought I was a total badass. I'm like, oh yeah, I you know, we can go as far. And uh, within the first 10 seconds, he threw a knee to, my solar plexus and I got knocked out. Like I was out. I remember somebody peeking in from the hallway. They are like, Is she okay? And he just kinda stood there. It was it was it was an odd experience to say the least, but that started the fire. So that started the fire. That, you got you got hit real hard. like, hit, okay. I got hit real hard. And that started the fire. That started the running and the the jumping rope and the shadow boxing, you know, cue in the Rocky music. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. <laughs> And then I, I went in to have a fight, you know, I, shortly thereafter. And I just... It just snowballed perched. from there. Yeah, And all snowballs. this
0: was from some guy stalking you on campus. Uh, uh,
2: I Well, it's because I love Thai food that really brought me to the restaurant. Uh, the restaurant and then the stocking. The yeah. Guy made mm-hmm.
1: you start learning in Muay Thai. You had no idea when you first started.
2: I had no idea. Not zero. Damn. What it was.
1: That's such like, a interesting chance opportunity but it led you down this such an amazing road
2: it was completely accidental it was completely
1: accidental because you were going to be a musician
2: yes yeah
1: and so you go to new york and now by this time you're uh, a boxing team in new york Mm -hmm. um also pursuing your music and getting gigs what was that time of your life like was it just complete chaos was it
2: It was turbulent for sure. Um, You know, there's. I was training at a gym. I was teaching people Muay Thai at a gym called Crunch, and then I was playing music and uh, training. My sparring partner was his one of my best friends still, Debbie Stein, who was, you know, U.S. Golden Gloves champion, Madison Square Garden. I mean, she's just she's awesome boxer, and so we would go at it for three hours every. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and uh, and then I would play music, and it just, it was, it was good, and it was a learning experience. It was slightly lonely. There was a lot of crying in my pillow, and then a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of growth. So a lot of ups and downs and in-betweens. Yeah, but I, a lot of me feeling still proud of being able to, you know, make it through another day of you know, sparring with somebody who's so accomplished and, you know, making New York City work and and, and working and playing and trying trying to pursue mm-hmm. what was my dream at the time. And so she
1: was a pretty large influence having just her as a sparring partner and a mentor at the time. Oh yeah,
2: huge influence. I remember the first time that we sparred and I couldn't use my legs. It was just hands. And I master luck really gave me my my legs I had mm-hmm. my kicks and my footwork and Lee who was our trainer at the time said all right we're just going straight boxing um you know and I don't even know how many rounds it was but I, I started crying because I'd never first of all I never had a sparring partner right ever I right. Uh, never even had a pad holder it was just You know, the guy, the waiter guy. I sparred like twice, (laughs) which was random. But nobody (laughs) held a pad for me. I kicked a bag. um, So, uh, and there I was, and I couldn't kick her. And I I was just trying to use my hands, and I didn't feel like I had a coach in my corner. I I felt like kind of alone, like not
0: on an island, almost. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And she was in her place, and she was with the team, and I just felt. I, I, I had no support and I was just trying my hardest but I didn't have any, my hands weren't anywhere near near hers and I started crying after the round and uh, this was a huge turning point for me. She walked up to me and she said, if you're gonna cry, go in the fucking locker room. And I was like, oh so hardcore here. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, and and Whoa. so after that, I just went, I did exactly that. I just held my tears and I didn't show, I didn't show any pain or sadness or fear. And then I would go to the locker room and I would cry. And um, she ended up being my best friend. Um, and we're still so close. She is one of my closest friends. Um, but that, was a hard lesson to learn but it was a good lesson you know how did you keep
1: that in like how did you cuz that a lot of people they they might have broke was there any was it just a no like i'm not letting this beat me or after she said that to you what was your mentality going forward just to keep yourself up you know and fight the pain and fight the emotions
2: it was almost like she gave me direction of what I had to do. So I, I, I—it's not like I had a choice in my head. Like, mm-hmm. oh, do 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 I quit now or do I keep going and go cry in the locker room? It was like, okay, well, if I'm going to cry, I go in the locker room. Right. That's, that's that's what it, I'm doing. There's no other choice. Right, you have to do that. Yeah, and it's funny because I see, <clears throat> I'll see my students now, and and I know when they have a hard spar, like a hard spar that gets to your skin under your skin that gets to your heart to get you know it gets to your mind and I either I know they're either going to cry in the bathroom or cry on the way home or cry in their driveway and that's going to be their turning point and that's going to be the time where they decide I'm going to move forward or I'm going to hang this up.
1: Yeah Uh, sparring is one of the most emotional experiences I've ever had. In my life if any of the listeners out there have never sparred before i well get some get some good training first so you know what you're doing but i recommend it for everybody because it's such a it's like an hour of self discovery you really see yourself
2: in a different light
1: and i couldn't imagine going with golden glove sparring partner without using any of the skills that i've been training for the past year Mm -hmm. a couple years i can imagine what that would take in yourself or just you know that just requires growth to survive and uh, I'm sure that kind of bled into the music scene as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You said that they went kind of hand-in-hand so Muay Thai wasn't just a focus, you were also doing the music as well. Was there a time that you think that really helped you in the music scene or how did it translate over
2: so well? Um, That's a great question and I don't know if they translate over as much as they blended for me because music was my Muay Thai and Muay Thai was my music, mm. so they they kind of went together. I, I feel the rhythm of music when I'm sparring or moving or fighting, and and I, I kind of feel the the fight of Muay Thai when I'm you know when I was pushing to make it in music and and get my music out there and. They kind of had the, they were both my expression, I guess. Gotcha.
1: What was your favorite gig?
2: Oh, you you know, I I think I do have one. Um, There was a woman who made short films, and I think the film was called White Trash Girl. (laughs) White Trash Girl. I think it was. And if it wasn't (laughs) called that, it was really close to that. But we were at, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. So she came into town to release her short film, and I was in a band called Jet Jaguar 5. And the Standard Hall used to be a place called Stashes, Little Brothers. Okay. Little Brothers, yeah. And uh, it was a sold-out show and I just remember having such a blast on stage. It was, the crowd was great, it was packed, the, her film was great, um, it was just, it was a high point. It was a high mm. point, there was a lot of dancing and the crowd was jumping, it was good.
1: Just getting to all your music? Yeah. So you, what type of music, what genre do you think you played? Um, just pop, I guess. Pop, Yeah. upbeat. Were you the hype man, the, the front man?
2: In a big way. I can definitely In a big see way.
1: that. <laughs> what was your signature move?
2: Um, you know, I I would drop down on my knees a lot and just <laughs> give it my all. I would sometimes I threw a few kicks. I don't know. Heck They're, yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> Get up on the bar sometimes and.
2: The bar was a little far away, but I I definitely was free, if you want to put it that way. Um, when I was singing,
1: yeah, I can definitely see you throwing a few high kicks on stage, belting yeah. it out. Yeah, I are. gotta find one of these videos somewhere.
2: You know, people want to find videos of this or me fighting, but the thing is, is there were no like you, you need a VHS player oh, if you want to see any of this. That makes me so upset
1: though. <laughs> because, yeah. Oh my god, that'd be so fun to see. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, so see, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just got this awesome image in my head.
0: <laughs> so you did
1: that for a couple of years, right? Or quite a few? You mean singing? Singing in just in New York.
2: Uh, I doing. was there for a little over a year. A little over mm-hmm. a year.
1: Okay, and that's when things started to pick up for you on the fighting scene as well. You started to make a name for yourself and you got mm-hmm. invited to the U.S. national team mm-hmm. and fight in Thailand. That's right. How the heck was that? What I don't even know oh, where gosh, to even begin, was... begin. Like where? So you signed up, you're training, and you're like flying over there. Yeah. Like what's going through your mind?
2: Um, I don't. I was just kind of on autopilot. I just wanted to train um, all day, all night, make sure I knew everything. I just felt like I couldn't be prepared enough to go into the ring. Um, and of course, there's like a lot of nerves, a lot of excitement. And I had a lot of gratitude for everything that brought me there. And it was,
1: it was great. Sounds like you were going in with a lot of positivity. Yeah. Into, and it probably was a scary space.
2: It was, I mean, it was a complete jungle of fighters. There's 72 countries there and Master Let couldn't go, which it uh, was hard not having my teacher with me. Yeah. Um, but I was gonna go in there and just let it rock. Heck yeah. And yeah.
1: And um, so this was the world championship <laughs> right. of Muay Thai, and you were mm-hmm. representing the, the U.S. team, which yeah. was an amazing accomplishment. And it, what, was, um, what was getting into the ring like for your first time on the national stage?
2: Um, it, it didn't feel any different than any other time, actually. Once the bell rang, I just felt like it was any fight. It could have been any fight anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I didn't feel any different.
1: Yeah, so even though, I mean, a lot of people make a big like, over-exaggeration of the big stages, but it wasn't that. It was more the training was dialed in. You were ready for the moment. Yeah, when that bell,
2: when the bell rang, it was like you click right into your zone. What and was your favorite fight? Oh, my favorite fight. There's, You know, I actually fought a girl in my weight class, which was not often. Master Left would have me fight. You know, like I said, first of all, (laughs) we're talking about 1994 up until like 2003, I was fighting and things being sanctioned wasn't exactly. I gotcha. You know.
1: Yeah. So you were fighting weight class-ish. Yeah. Within
2: like 30 pounds. Whoa! Yeah, and that that's, is a big difference. And I, I never had the thirty pounds on my opponent. <laughs> I would Come be on, like one twenty-five, and i say to him, "He's like, it doesn't matter." You know, I'm like, "What do you mean it doesn't matter? She's freaking huge!" He's a foot taller than me. <laughs> He's like, send her to school. <laughs> yeah. And you did. I mean, I tried my best, but there was one time that I did fight a girl that we both weighed one twenty-one. And I thought, it seems so much easier to, really? <laughs> to fight somebody in my own weight class. So I had a lot of fun in in that fight. And uh, and that fight went on a little bit too long. But that was that, that was a good fight. That, that was a good fight. Mm-hmm. Especially because well, her, her whole crowd was chanting. She'd brought all these people from, I don't remember what town she was from, and they were like, kill her, put her in her grave, and all of these things. Like, that. Okay. I wasn't so like I okay. Try. I'm like, what are these people saying? Like this is <laughs> this is awful. Um, and this girl really wants to kill me. And you know, just I mean, I, I won the fight and broke most of her ribs. It was it was a, a good? You broke most of her ribs. I did.
1: So a couple of good knees was. Um, they were all
2: from kicks. All kicks. All my roundhouse kicks. Yeah.
1: Ooh, yeah. Ooh. yeah. I can imagine. We talk about rib kushers all the time, but taking one, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to take one from you any, any time of the week. But she didn't you didn't have the extra
2: training. padding of the like 25 pounds, you know? <laughs> it was much easier. It just, it, it, it was much easier to fight somebody in your weight class for
1: sure. Well, yeah, when you've been fighting people that are multiple weight classes above you yeah. your entire career. I'm
2: sure that you did pretty <laughs> well in your weight class. <laughs> uh, I mean, at one point, like, wanted me to fight a guy. On a, on a whim, we went to some fights in, I think it was Pittsburgh, and Master Boone, who I think, has moved back to Thailand now, but he came out and he was like, "Master luck, like, we don't have an opponent for you know, so-and-so who was like one, one of his top male fighters. He's like, "We'll hope fight him." And I was like, "What? Exactly? What?" <laughs> I'm like, "I am a 125 pound small woman. This guy's like 125. No, pounds? I think he was like 150 pounds. I mean, he Please. wasn't a huge guy, but they wanted me to fight him. He's still so 25 pounds. I agreed, by the way. You did. I and did you agree. Him. No, Master Lock would not let me fight him, but oh, okay. yeah, I, I said you I wanted I would do to. It. You wanted to go. I'm like, well, I'll do whatever he says. Okay, that's fine. If you want me to. Yeah, I mean, there was just, like, no rhyme or reason. It was like, you know, it was, it, things are so tight today. Mm-hmm. They really have tightened things up. I'm pretty
1: sure that's a little frustrating for you, too, compared to what it used to be. Like, oh, just get them in the ring, and it's their experience. And, yeah, I don't know if the, if anyone would let 25 pounds
2: just slide. <laughs> difference just slide
1: anymore. Um, that, is so, <laughs> that is so funny. But, yeah, I mean, fighter through and through. Yeah. Definitely. But up to this point, things were going, I mean, pretty well. you building careers, you're building um, yeah. all the way up to the U.S. national team, but then you got injured. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a really bad injury to your shoulder is what we were talking about before. So, like, what exactly happened and um, how did it kind of derail you for a little bit?
2: Well, it was, um, <clears throat> it was the, the last round of my fight in Thailand, and... I threw a hook to, to the body of this girl, um, she was from the Czech Republic, and she sort of caught my arm um, when I threw my hook, and she caught her, my arm under her armpit. And so my body kept going, but my arm was stuck, because I threw it hard, right, and I twisted mm-hmm. my body, and then I just felt and heard this rip in my shoulder, and then for the last part of the third round, I couldn't lift my arm up at all, and it was excruciating pain, and then, I was in a ton of pain right after the fight. I couldn't lift my arm, um, and I came home, checked it out, you know, the docs checked it out, the sportsman docs, and they pretty much told me I tore it badly and I needed surgery. I may not be able to return to Muay Thai. I was definitely not gonna be able to box the same, you know, that whole story mm-hmm. um, that they give you. And I started physical therapy. They wanted me to do some physical therapy first before surgery. and. Um, In that time, a woman had told me about a man who did acupressure that was from Vietnam and he had healed a ton of people through acupressure which is a lot like acupuncture except you use your fingers and Mm you push on the acupuncture points or the acupressure points and um, to make a long story short, he basically rehabbed my shoulder without any surgery, Um, I had probably 30 treatments from him, and to this day I've had no problem with my shoulder.
1: Yeah, so you had this almost condemning sentence of you will never box again, and, or you will never return to Muay Thai, or you won't be the same as you used to be. And I've been there with my knees. I've gotten that same talk before. So what was kind of going through your mind in that phase too? Was it, did you have like a fire lit under you to say like prove you wrong, or? Like, what were you battling, and how did you get over the emotional parts of that?
2: Um, Well, I think for any athlete, when you take away their ability to train, you know, there's, like, this slump, you know. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about Mm. since you experienced it, too. Oh, yeah. So I I had a slump of, you know, maybe a little brightness was, was dimmed, but I didn't believe what they were saying to me. I didn't take their word for it. I didn't think that their word was the end all be all. I knew I was going to get back in the ring somehow, some way. That was just the way it was.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I just had to figure it out.
1: Yeah, and you found this great avenue of acupressure. Mm-hmm. And when you started making progress, Mm-hmm. What, what was going, Like, holy crap, this is
2: working. Yeah, you feel like, so, oh my God, I can't believe this is working. And they're like, wait a minute, this guy just told me I'm never going to fight again, and I need surgery, but, you know, why doesn't everybody know about this? Right. You know, why isn't everybody turning to this? So um, it was a huge, huge turning point, and eye-opening, exper- mind-blowing even, because to be told from what you would consider the word from you know a a top surgeon top sports med person to say you're knocking a box you need surgery you've really torn it up um and then to have somebody who's from vietnam doing acupressure doesn't really explain to you what's happening but you you start healing yeah and i mean i was so happy but at the same time i was i felt a little bit angry like what if I didn't meet what this if guy. You did? Yeah. yeah.
1: What if you had the surgery and you weren't ever the same? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. so that kind of, and you got to the point where you went back into the ring.
2: I did. I mean, I, I had five or six fights after that, and I still hold pads. I still spar. I still, to this day, I haven't had no problems with my shoulder. Oh yeah,
1: you're as active as ever in the gym. Yeah. I would have never guessed that you had a major shoulder, shoulder injury to the point where they were almost saying you couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. So it almost set in that of course set you down the path that brings you to today you went and got your master's in chinese medicine Mm -hmm. and are trying to give back that gift as well as the gift of muay thai and how did how did these two businesses start too so you have two businesses you have the acupuncture and i'm sure there's some other services i saw the cupping under shoulder too, yeah. which I've always wanted to try to do. Oh, I might great. have to do that before oh, I leave. cupping is great. Yeah, come in. Oh, yeah. I have to try it. Cupping is
2: awesome.
1: It's <laughs> the best. I, I've just, I've heard so much about it. Oh, I won't. So I will, I'll promise you that. I'll yeah. go into a session before I leave. Uh, and then on the side of that too, this Muay Thai gym kind of organically grew out, mm-hmm. of, out of nothing. So what what did start both of those, if you can kind of go one and then the other
2: uh, you know, I I had a, a house, and in the back was a four-car garage, and um, it was, when I bought the house, it was condemned. It was all boarded up. Really? I, I wasn't even allowed in it when I bought the house, I couldn't even see inside. So once I bought the house, it was like four apartment units. I lived in one, and then there was the three others, and then we had the four-car garage in the back that was condemned. And once I bought it, I... A friend of mine, Jason, and I took like a lot of the boards down and started looking in it and it was oh my god, it was awful. It was awful. It like, was so bad. Was
1: it how I picture a condemned building? Just things falling apart, <laughs> moldy walls <laughs> well, and holes and everything. Squatters everywhere. had
2: definitely lived there for a long time. Oh wow. Yeah, there okay. was like a lot of remnants of people. I'll just leave it like that. <laughs> in different, Good to know. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So I I just cleaned up one of the four Spots and I hung a bag. And then a friend of mine wanted to come and learn. And so I taught her. And then she asked next week if she could bring her friend. Uh, I, I was okay, you can bring your friend. So I taught both of them. And then another person heard and they wanted to come. So then I cleared the second spot. So half of the garage was cleaned and we'd try to hang up some, some ceiling to make it a little bit, you know, presentable. Mm-hmm. And then before I knew it, I'd cleaned and redone the whole four-car garage, and in a couple months, I had like 100 students in my garage.
0: You had 100 students in this it, tiny four-car in, garage? In and out
2: within a week, yeah.
0: Holy crap.
2: It was crazy. And yeah. I, I didn't even, it was a complete accident. It was a complete accident.
1: Just word of mouth, like, oh, Just let me bring my friends here, let <laughs> me like, my friends here. yeah. Which still is a tradition to this day, bring a friend it, week.
2: Yeah. And that's just how it happened. And and then the city found out about it. And I guess I wasn't allowed to have a business running out of my house. (laughs) They thought it was like either a big drug ring or a prostitution circle going in in there because all these people were like, you know, funneling in and out of my house. And for some reason, everybody was driving like BMWs and Mercedes (laughs) and like, and they were like, what is going on in the back of this house? What and happened? Did they? There was a, The vice squad came and w- was undercover in one of the classes. Is it like a bring a friend? And then I, I, I don't know who it was to this day. And then I one got. Of the, one
0: of the vice was... squad people? <laughs> yeah.
2: Came to one of your classes? Yes. Yes. And what? then I got a call from the city and it was the day before Christmas Eve. And like, I wake of up. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Great. And they're like, you know, we know what's going on in your garage. And. You need to shut it down. Um, you can't run a business out of your. You can run a business, I guess, out of your house, but not if it's detached. And since the garage was detached, it was illegal. That uh, doesn't make any sense. I, I, it was just, I guess, a rule, yeah. from what I understand. So we ventured out and tried to find a spot, and ended up here.
1: And here we are with this amazing space with three heavy bags, an entire ring. Yeah. And what was? Twelve
2: hundred square feet. I mean, it's nice. It's really nice.
1: How was that transition? Were you excited about it? Were you like, okay, I'm doing it, I guess, because this was kind of an accident. Yeah. And now it's turning into a full-fledged business, a full-fledged thing. Yeah, with a lease. With a lease.
2: And with rent. Um, I was excited. You know, I felt like something great was happening, and the students that had come in in that first period, in that first year were... I just felt like everyone was so special, and they got lit up with class, and I felt like I was doing something worthwhile, and it was great to see so many people getting so happy from classes and growing and learning Muay Thai, and so I I felt good about it.
1: Mm -hmm. And then probably the same point in uh, the medicine practice as as well, being able to heal people in ways that they probably never would have thought to be healed. Mm hmm
2: they're, they're very similar. I mean, it just, I, I feel like they all just kind of go together, you know, the music and the, the martial arts and healing. I, I feel like they all work as one in a way. And, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it doesn't seem like that on the outside, but for me, they kind of all connect.
1: Yeah, in a way to express <clears throat> yourself and, you know, I'm, losing, I'm losing the words that I just had. But yeah, it's kind of like expressing yourself, centering yourself, and... I feel like a lot of people don't get to do that nowadays. Mm.
2: That's a it's shame. It's unfortunate. It. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: very unfortunate. So, so grew you, you've lived a lot.
2: I have. You've had one hell of a good life I, so far. I have, which I have. Is, I've been lucky.
1: Which is awesome. And now you get to give it back, that gift that you've mm-hmm. learned, and the things that you've learned over the years. What, for people that, you know, want to get started or are kind of struggling with making that leap out of the nine to five or... Are kind of feeling trapped, and that was kind of a point where you broke off and then went on all of these adventures, and I'm sure it was hard. But what do you think they could do to really get going, to like take that first step and go chase something that they want?
2: You know, I think just having faith that everybody has so many special qualities inside that the world would love to see instead of it being hidden behind whatever job is not fulfilling for them and whatever tasks they're getting buried with that are just compressing who they really are. And we live in a, a country that I feel like we're so fortunate we're able to go out and, and do what we wanna do. Um, Maybe you're not going to make, you know, maybe you're going to lose your benefits or maybe you're not going to make however much you make and you're going to have to figure things out. But like we were saying before, you know, happiness is the new rich and sleep is the new wealth and all of those things, which are are just fundamental, like (laughs) a life. I feel like just fundamental life characteristics of having a good life, quality life. So I think it's different for every person but if somebody is struggling and they're they're going to hopefully get to that place where they just can't bear another day and you know if somebody's out there and listening i just want to say that you probably have so much inside of you that you can i mean there's so many ways to make money and make a living and fulfill your dreams and express yourself and the world needs that
1: i think that's a Great message to end on, and that gives me hearing your story gives me a lot of faith in what I'm doing, because yeah, I know it's terrifying.
2: I'm so excited and for you. I'm thank so you. So excited thank for you
1: because <laughs> it's it's like a lot of nerves to step off that cliff, but I'm already so glad I did it just because having conversations like this makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Crew Hope, for coming mm-hmm. on the show. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun, and I know all the gym members will be listening. And yeah. Uh, all of us. And good be. luck to you. Thank good luck you. To you. Yeah,
2: we're really gonna miss you here.
1: I know. This place has been my family for the last year and a half, and I'll yeah. be back. I know you yeah, will. I was gonna Fine. say. I don't
2: want to be too worried about <laughs> that. And you had to take Jackie with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I God, know. I know. I lo- I'm losing two of you.
1: <laughs> but you know, we have to show the Germans what's up. Then. I guess. <laughs> show them what two all about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for coming on Oyster World Radio. Thanks for having me. We will. We will be back soon. Okay. One,
0: two, three, four. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World, radio production of Oyster World, LLC. I'm your host, Nathan Lieberman, and thanks again to Drew Hope, by tell Coming on the show, check out the gym at shortnorthmui If you want to learn more about Oyster World and our mission to shatter our personal bubbles, go to the Oyster Hub at oysteryourworld.com. Or like our Facebook page. You can find it by searching Oyster World. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Capier year on Instagram, Nathan.Oyster, and on Twitter at Nathan Oyster. Check out the links in the show description if you want to learn more. Special thanks to Charlie Milken for all the Oyster Jams. Check him out on Spotify or at Charlie. CharlieMilkin.com That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N Thanks again for tuning in to Oyster World Radio We'll be back in two weeks But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman Signing off I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about our time that's gone by It's time for a change In my day-to-day scene Time to turn around from that clock Face the mirror and change me